Get your Kleenex ready because this is the last Total SF with me and Heather Knight, who is going to the New York Times. But do not unfollow the podcast. We may want to make some future announcements or even someday create something new in this space. And follow us both on social media. Heather and I would like to still host the occasional meetup or movie night on our own time. Thank you to our listeners. We really do love this community. Can you give me a test? Test, test. Oh my god, when I'm done, am I going to take your mic? I have to bring my other one back to King anyway, so I can just... You can do it? it. Okay, good. Because I don't need one more (laughs) thing that's going to make me cry today. (laughs) Hello, Heather Knight, and welcome to the very last Total SF. No. No. This is your last week at the Chronicle. How's that going? Um, I still have a lot of logistical things to do. You know, the phone, the laptop, bringing all this really heavy podcasting equipment back to the Chronicle (laughs) newsroom, but I'm managing. What is going to be the larger emotion? Missing me in this podcast, (laughs) in this community that we've built, or all of the equipment that we have to lug around? Because it is very heavy. (laughs) I will not miss the equipment, but I will miss you, and I will miss you more than I will not miss the equipment. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. I will miss you, too, more (laughs) than I will not miss the equipment. Uh, I'm sad, but I'm okay. There's a big part of me that's saying, what am I going to do when this is gone? It's like 30% of my job and a lot of my life. But I said last week I'm grateful, and I didn't explain it, and I want to explain it. I'm grateful I got to do this. Uh, I'm grateful that it ends on our terms, and I don't totally feel like it's over because we're still going to be really good friends, and we're going to do things together, and this community that we've built is going to still be a part of us. So I'm I'm mostly grateful. Good. Me too. I still can't believe what we got away with <laughs> on the job, <laughs> that we got paid for all these shenanigans, and that we never had an expense report turned back. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I mean, that should be a museum in itself. (laughs) Do you remember how this started? Because I went back and um, listened to the episode. It was on February 23rd, 2018. Do you remember kind of the seeds, the beginning of Total SF? I do. It all started with my son, who's now 10. He was um, a little boy at the time, obsessed with Muni, and he has this wild numbers focused brain that I do not have and he memorized every bus line muni bus line in order one California two Clement three Jackson I Um, think we have some audio of that I'm going to play it right now okay five are Fulton Rapid six hate Parnassus seven hate Noriega seven x Noriega Express So um, you, you know, since you like to, quote, dig around in the archives, knew that Giants president Larry Bear had ridden every Muni line um, back in the 80s with a friend. And you said on Twitter that I should impress my son by writing every line and replicating Larry's stunt. And I said, only if you do it with me, thinking that would kill the whole idea right there. But you said, sure. And Total Muni 2018, and the entire Total SF project was born. Yeah. Do you remember what you thought of me? Like, because we weren't friends, and we've mentioned that on this podcast before. Like, we were not hanging out. We were not friends. I wouldn't even say we were strong acquaintances. I barely knew who you were. (laughs) 
<laughs> I what I knew of you I liked, but we um, we never hung out. We never said more than hey in the hallway. Um, I remember we both crossed pads on the dreaded night shift at one point. And your wife, Kelly, was so dedicated that she would actually come in for dates in your break in the night shift of the newsroom. And I thought that was sweet, but that was about all I know. But can I mention the men of the Chronicle calendar here, Peter? You can mention it. It's the last episode. You may talk about (laughs) the men of the Chronicle calendar. I also knew you because um, many, many moons ago, there was a photographer at the Chronicle, my friend, um, Jennifer Ash, now Jennifer Blott, who made Men of the Chronicle calendars, and it was a benefit, I think, for a cancer foundation or something, and um, you agreed, as did many other male reporters, including Matir and Ross, um, to pose, not fully naked, <laughs> but not far off for these chronicle calendars it was shirtless it was a shirtless calendar uh before social media days thank god and um my part was shot at the chronicle printing press where security followed us around it was horrifying i mean i'm i was embarrassed i'm not a person who walks around shirtless in printing presses and uh, we raised some money for charity, and I am so thankful that Twitter and Facebook. <laughs> I still out. have my calendar, though. I- I'll tell you what, my gift to you <laughs> at the end of this podcast, if you want to share the photo, that's fine. Um, I remember you as being a badass. Like I back a, then, yeah, I thought I was a little scared of you because you were a really good reporter and you were tough. And now I know, like, that was probably all about the patriarchy because I dig around in the archive and the Chronicle was like a century plus of like male columnists and you're breaking through and fighting and showing your worth. But I saw that, that you were maybe a little cold. And then I remember when you brought your sons in, all that broke down because I'm like, oh, she's a mom. Oh, she loves the city. And our first episode, if you listen to it, it's we're very formal with each other. There's kind of like first date vibes going on. <laughs> But I do remember thinking, like, oh, she's funny. Well, I know that you were nervous that um, 18 hours on buses would kill this very new budding friendship in its <laughs> tracks. And you told, you had your wife, Kelly, on standby. If I was being driven crazy by you, I could text her for advice. <laughs> yes. Well, it all worked out okay. Uh, five years later, here we are. Um, we're going to get through this last episode. I want it to be like the most fun exit interview ever. We'll pick three important things we learned about San Francisco from Total SF. And I thought we could end with a lightning round, Heather, because I don't think you or I have ever given it to each other. I think we've taken it from other people, but not one-on-one. Okay, so we're going to have a lightning round at the end. And... I want to say, I mean, we didn't make it clear last time, but, you know, Total SF exists. It belongs to the Chronicle. I've told the Chronicle that I'd like to end with Heather leaving and try some new thing, start a new adventure. But um, so this is probably our last episode. I could see scenarios where they put two people in we don't know and call it Total SF. We can't stop that. Or I could see a scenario, you know, five years down the road. Who knows what happens But um, we're calling this the last episode, and and we'll talk about that, too. Yeah. Well, final question, Heather. Um, In case anybody wasn't listening last week, where are you going? 
Well, I'm going to take six weeks off between jobs, which I'm really excited about. But in mid-September, I will begin as the New York Times San Francisco Bureau Chief. I know that um, title is a little confusing. Our favorite Christmas duo, the Tree Twins, um, messaged me on Instagram saying, what does that mean? All I know is it sounds very bossy. <laughs> Luckily, I'm not going to be bossing anyone around. I'm just going to be their lead writer for the city and the wider Bay Area in Northern California. So I'm going to basically keep doing what I'm doing, but for a much bigger audience, and I'm excited about it. Yeah, I'm excited about it, too. Um, you know, you're still in the city. I read the Times. I'm already a subscriber. I'm Peter Hartlob here with Heather Knight. For the last time, this is Total SF. Thank you very much. So this podcast was called The Big Event when I started it, and I didn't know how to do a podcast. I just listened to podcasts and tried to do that. So I was mostly like interviewing celebrities and being kind of snarky and let's rank the it's-its and stuff like that. <laughs> that was a good episode. It was a very good episode, but you know, there was a lot of stuff like that. It was not what the podcast is now. By the way, Mint is the best. Mint is the best. You agree. We agree on that. See, we're not going to get in a fight today. <laughs> um, but I, I thought Total Muni was a breakthrough um, we realized that we needed to get out in the world and meet people. And I feel like that and the pandemic were kind of the two things that shaped this podcast. I agree. Um, obviously, our partnership started that crazy day in April 2018, but it really took off during the pandemic when we were so lonely and bored in our own homes. And I hated Zoom and I was so sick of trying to record this podcast on Zoom. So we started, once it was safe um, and allowed, we didn't break any rules, we started lugging this equipment all over the city and meeting people outside. And in the beginning, we'd even sit like, set up chairs in big triangles, like 10 feet apart from each other, and wear masks sometimes. Like we were very cautious, but it made it so much more fun. Yeah, I, I bought extra long cords for the mics so we could be like 12 feet apart. It was a different time. We started interviewing kind of random people out in the community because that's who we had contact with. And the episode started doing better and better. Um, there's one that we kind of joke about. Um, here in Glen Park, we interviewed Glen Park Neighborhood History Project founder Evelyn Rose, who was wonderful, just came here and gave us history. The next week we interviewed Will Clark, and that was fantastic too. But the Evelyn Rose episode, like, did better. And I right. was like, oh, maybe people just want a podcast where they meet people in their community and learn about their community and explore San Francisco with us. And that kind of changed things, I think, for me. Yeah. We started having some pretty well-known people reach out and want to um, be on the show. And I think before we would have been like, oh, cool, like, that person's a famous chef or whatever. But we started actually turning them down because we knew that those episodes didn't do nearly as well as just regular people out and about. Yeah, no, it definitely became something where we're going out and exploring and, and uh, finding new things about San Francisco. And that's what I'm going to carry away with me. Like all of these great tours that we did, all these great people that we met, that was the core of it. And that's when I really think it kind of became total SF. Yeah. Well, we're going to pick three important things we learned about San Francisco from total SF um, we have not told each other what they are, 
and you, as always, get to go first, <laughs> Heather. Um, I appreciate that. Despite me fighting the patriarchy, you always say ladies first. Yeah. So my first one is the neighborhoods are where it's at. We always had the most fun when we got out of downtown, away from the Fifth and Mission newsroom, um, into the neighborhoods and explored the small businesses, parks, playgrounds, beaches, bus rides, you know, anything that's not in the core of the city. Um, the core of the city... I think, you know, we're realistic. We know there's huge problems in San Francisco right now. Downtown is so much emptier than it used to be. It can feel scary walking through Soma and the Tenderloin, especially at night. There are big problems, and we don't shy away from that. But we also try to highlight that if you want to feel better about the city, um, just go explore corners you haven't done before. Some of my favorite examples of that were... um, Obviously, Total Muni that literally took us all over the city. We got to look out the window of the bus and see Bernal Heights, or um, we discovered on the 49-mile makeover the Ingleside neighborhood with the sundial and Beep's Burgers. Um, We visited the Outer Richmond all the time for our movie nights at the Balboa Theater, um, tipsy after parties at Hockey Haven. We're sitting here right now in Glen Canyon and Glen Park, going to go get burritos after at La Corneta. All these neighborhoods are amazing. Um, also, North Beach is one of my favorites. We were there recently at Savoy Tivoli to celebrate the wild parrots being named the official animal of San Francisco. Um, and then our audio tour of Golden Gate Park took us throughout that beautiful park, which is the best in the whole world. So anyway, um, all these places where we saw the beauty and fun and quirkiness of the city and not the doom loop scenario, but more of the, the hope loop scenario, um, I think was fun and reminded us that those kinds of places are the beating heart of San Francisco. Very well said. Um, one correction, it's Savoy Tivoli. <laughs> Sorry. Oh my God. I'm not going to miss your mispronunciations of every single thing. International incident that I'm creating here. Sorry to the Italian American Athletic Club. Um, I will stop. Uh, you. are you. 100% right. I think of like Crosstown Trail and meeting those people and discovering Viz Valley. And um, I, I just hadn't been there. Or places there were traveling around. And I'm like, my grandmother might have taken me here. You know, I, I love those moments like that. And it brings me to my number one, which was the lesson from Total Muni that I've taken with me and it has changed my life, which is if you travel randomly you're gonna fall in love with the city again. Um, West Portal, not West Portal. Thank I'm, you, I'm gonna stop I finally taught you after five years. I'm gonna get serious now. West Portal, <laughs> uh, Ingleside, Excelsior, I, seeing things that I hadn't seen since I, again, was touring San Francisco with my grandmother. And here's the thing, like I thought that stuff was gone. I thought like in my head, I'd lived here. I'd lived in the hate, but just like visited the same five places. I also, think about meeting people when you're out exploring randomly. I have the 90% 10% rule, which is 10% of the people get 90% of the attention in your community, but most of those 10% are assholes. <laughs> <laughs> they have press releases. I they, won't mention any names. <laughs> we won't mention any names. But that 10% has press releases and press teams. Twitter feeds. Twitter feeds. They want to give journalists things, including access and return for things. But if you, as a journalist or just a human being, look for that other 90%, which you find when you're traveling around randomly, you're gonna get better, truer stories about your community. You're gonna meet really good friends and it's gonna boost your faith in humanity. 
So that idea that like I'm just going to have the same sources, I'm going to go to the same places, was killing my love of San Francisco. And we did Total Muni to screw around and to have fun, but it ended up changing me as a journalist more than anything I've ever done because I got to explore and find that 90% of people who had all the best stories and find all those great places. I agree with you, and um, similarly, I think that journalists should break out of the pattern of talking to city leaders and the politicians and the heads of various organizations. And as much as possible, I've tried to do this in my column, talk to regular people. Like, um, example, Total Muni, uh, somebody DM'd me on Twitter saying, I have this cable car connection, would you be interested? And I was like, sure. And that's how we made our cable car friends, including um, Gritman Valupiz, who I tease him, is the most famous cable car Gritman in San Francisco. And he had a cable car waiting for us at 6 a.m. that day to take us up Knob Hill at sunrise just because we said yes to this person we didn't know and, and wanted to hear from him. So I think say yes to regular people, answer their emails, answer their messages. They're just as valuable, if not more so, than the fancy pants. That was number one, and we're already vibing on this. <laughs> uh, can't wait to hear your number two. Okay. I always knew that San Franciscans were quirky and whimsical. I mean, we've had that reputation for decades, but I think we learned more than ever that San Franciscans are up for literally anything. Like we said, come um, follow us as we ride buses all over the city. It'll be fun. And I was shocked by um, the first column I wrote about Total Muni and this weird idea. We had people writing us immediately saying, let me figure out your entire route. I can do it. And then the day of, we had so many people come find us. My favorite being Burrito Justice, who waited um, at a bus stop for a long time because we were behind schedule with this big bag of burritos. And people just got so into this really random, <laughs> weird idea. And that vibe did not stop for the past five years. We also had... Um, the virtual movie night during the pandemic and I was like nobody's gonna want to be on zoom and screens even more than they already have to be at night for fun like but what do we have to lose we'll just give it a shot and we said cook pizza at home and people did and they were sharing um pictures of their pizzas inspired by Inside Out the Pixar film where the girl moves to San Francisco and is given broccoli pizza and the little voice in her head says leave it to san francisco to ruin pizza <laughs> and we made that hashtag go nationally National. viral National. and then and people were so confused why is why do san franciscans hate pizza <laughs> <laughs> and pete doctor like recorded the director uh and jonas rivera the producer like recorded a minute and a half intro for our like movie that didn't exist <laughs> <laughs> and then I think maybe one of my favorite examples is so our very first um live movie night before the pandemic was So I Married an Axe Murderer at the Balboa and we thought it would be fun since that movie's all about a Scottish family to try to hire a bagpiper and I just went down this rabbit hole I learned more about Bay Area bagpiping than I ever thought I would but we found Lynn Miller of the House of Bagpipes who came and played the bagpipes up the aisle. So Lynn Miller was such a hit that we thought, well, why not invite him to play bagpipes before every movie, even though it made absolutely no sense. <laughs> like he was playing before The Rock and um, Sister Act and Bullet. And people just went with it. Like most, you know, I feel like in most cities, people would be like, what is up with this bagpiper? But people loved it. They just go with anything. No, I agree with you. And the, those movie nights were a breakthrough for me because... I felt like before that, 
you know, people listen to a podcast and think, you know, they work for the Chronicle, they're doing this, whatever, for downloads or whatever. But once we got out and about and people saw that, it was almost like a, a switch was flipped and people realized, oh, no, they're hanging out with us. This is a real thing. Like, they're not just pretending to be our friends. We kind of are friends. And that's how I felt about it. Like, I'm meeting all these people who listen and connecting. And that was awesome. Yeah. We'll be right back after this short break. Well, what's your number two, Peter? My number two is um, just simply embrace newcomers. Um, I started the podcast as an insider thing. I think a lot of my approach to journalism was, you know, if you know, you know. And I've never been big on the native San Franciscan thing, but my family's from here and I probably clung to that a little bit. And what I realized was once we started getting out and and finding out who our followers were, there was a big group of people with a hunger to connect with the city and explore it and be a part of it. But I think that we've put up barriers. And I say we as people like you and me who have lived here for a while or have some past connection to the city. Um, And honestly, I think that's hurt the city and its growth. I probably wrote the words tech bro and columns earlier on, long before Total SF, and I deeply regret that because I meet a lot of people who are in tech who are out at like a refuse refuse trash pickup or, you know, rallying for JFK promenade. And they're people who want to make the city better, but it's almost like they're embarrassed to tell you where they work. And we shouldn't make people feel like that. I hate that I contributed to that climate, and I think Total SF kind of became my apology for that. Everyone's welcome. We love this city. Come explore it with us. And a lot of the problems that we have out there, I think, are going to need people who have innovative minds and who are thinking of new things and it's exactly that type of group like a lot of young people who are our modern gold rush people are people who can help out with this stuff so i I think just embracing newcomers and figuring out who our audience was and again making them feel welcome here is a as big of a contribution as I've made than is any journalism piece that I've written. I think that's true. And that segues into my number three, which is San Francisco is the kind of city people care about whether they live here or not, whether they're, you know, great grandparents were born here or they just moved here yesterday, whether they only visited on a vacation and held this idea of San Francisco in their mind for the rest of their lives. Um, or maybe they had family or friends who lived here and they've never been here. We have um, listeners who just love the idea of San Francisco and will reach out and say, you're so lucky to live in San Francisco. Um, And I think that we did a good job of not breaking people into live here, don't live here, natives, newcomers, um, locals, outsiders. You know, we tried to include everyone, which is related to what you just said. Um, I also think we did a good job of not um, dividing the city into places where longtime locals go versus newcomers or tourists. And we went to Pier 39 and Fisherman's Wharf and Musée Mechanique and all the places that you would think of as only... um, tourists would do or newcomers would do we rode cable cars i am obsessed as you know with cable cars and f cars and just embrace all of it we don't have to be like too cool for school everyone can love san francisco and enjoy it i wanted to shout out a few people on that theme um there was paul gully 78 um he 
uh, followed us on Instagram and lives in England and we sent him a total SF t-shirt and he sent us um, a picture of himself wearing it in front of the Beatles statue in Liverpool. Judy Radu, who comments on almost all of my columns in our podcast on Twitter, she lives in Chicago, um, just loves San Francisco. And uh, maybe the best example of all is Gordon Harvey, the professor in Alabama who pretends to be Herb Cain, has never lived in San Francisco, but loves this city and appreciates it just as much as anyone who's lived here for their whole lives. Um, He's the one with Sutro Tower tattooed on his forearm. So it can be a real pain in the ass to live here sometimes, but we should remember how much um, other people wish they could live here and what um, how San Francisco captures the imagination of people all over the world. Yeah, I just try to remind myself that Harvey Milk was not from here. Robin Williams was not from here. You know, Herb Cain, uh, Hunter Pence, Jerry Rice, you know, all these people who we identify so closely with the city were not here. They fell in love with it somewhere along the way and then became part of the fabric of the city. And I realized that I wasn't being a facilitator for that. I was being a roadblock for that as a journalist, and um, I don't feel that way now. Well, my number three is, quite simply, San Francisco is not doomed. (laughs) (laughs) Breaking. San Francisco is not doomed. Um, And this is a lot, you know, this is a total SF thing, but it's also a Peter digs around in the archive thing. The golden age of San Francisco is a myth. There has never been one. There have always been big problems. There's always been people who are willing to work hard to fix them. People who see the beauty and fall in love with the city and think it's worth the effort. And the only change in this is that I'm really worried right now that we're convincing people that this city is doomed, that it's over. And it's not over. I mean, there's a lot that needs to be fixed as always. But if we convince people that it's over, that hurts the city because some people are going to believe it and they're going to stop caring and they're going to stop fighting. And frankly, I think the rest of the world is convinced that 40 square blocks represents the entirety of SF. But it doesn't matter if they think that. It does matter if we think it, Mm -hmm. if the people who live here think that. We can be on our own. We proved during the pandemic that we could rally together and look out for each other. When I go to a Giants game, I look around and I don't look at people who I fought with. I look at people who looked out for me. But we can't believe this, what I think is becoming a national narrative, that San Francisco is over. Because it's not over. It's broken. It's often broken. And we need to fix it. So, um... I feel like that's something that daily is a reminder to me. And if I had just been like I was when I was in my late 20s, early 30s, and hid in my apartment and went to the same five places, and maybe a couple of those places closed down and I'm not discovering the new cool stuff that's happening, I think I might have been one of those given up on San Francisco people too. And I'm hoping Total SF created people who understand there are problems here, but also understand the beauty and the wonderment of this place is still here and it's worth fighting for. Well said. Well, I got worked up there. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Preach, Peter Hartlove. Well, Heather, you've um, answered all of our serious questions (laughs) and now it's time for the lightning round. Okay. Did I do that right? I think so. Okay. Um, All right, we're going to do the lightning round, and then we're going to wrap this up with a goodbye. Um, 
So first question, Heather, where's your favorite place to get a burrito? The place we're going to in about five minutes, La Corneta in Glen Park. How about you, Peter? You have to ask me the whole question. Oh. Where's your favorite place <laughs> to get a burrito? Where's your favorite place to get a burrito? Thank you for asking. Um, La Tapatia in South San Francisco is my favorite Mexican market slash place to get food. I think Chino's in the Richmond is my favorite. I don't know that it's the best, but I always am happiest to get a burrito there because I'm usually at the Balboa or in Golden Gate Park. We need short answers here, Peter. Okay. It's called the lightning round. Chino's in the <laughs> Richmond district. It's awesome. What is your favorite movie? So I Married an Axe Murderer. We played that three times in our Total SF Movie Night series. And it doesn't get old, does it? No, it gets better and better as you memorize all the lines. It plays so well for a crowd. Okay, go. What's your favorite Star movie? Trek IV. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I'm so glad this podcast is almost over. Star Trek IV, um, but I think after watching it with our crowd, I love The Rock. The it Rock is, is such a great movie to watch at a independent theater in San Francisco. So close second, maybe come first. Where is your favorite place to get a stiff drink? Ride a cable car up Knob Hill and get a drink at the top of the mark. And where's your favorite place in San Francisco to get a stiff drink? So glad you asked. Um, I'm going to pick the same one. I think get that cable car up there, do a little yoga at Grace Cathedral, <laughs> get a $20 Mai Tai <laughs> top of the mark. That is a fantastic day. You mentioned tourist stuff earlier. Yeah. I do more and more tourist stuff the more I did this podcast. So great pick. Okay, I have one more on our like list that we ask everybody because I want to know, what was your first concert? R.E.M. at Shoreline. What was your first concert? Uh, my first like rock concert was Van Halen on the 5150 tour at the Cow Palace in Daly City. Um, okay, that gets us to our specialized questions here. I have a couple questions that okay. are not on our usual list. What's your favorite place that we visited during Total SF? Well, it's not a place in that it moves, but one of my favorite moments was when we recorded on the boat tram with um, the operator named Melvin. And I remember him talking about growing up in the South and um, hearing the rice aroni jingle on TV and then always wanted to wanting to come to San Francisco after that. It's How did it feel to get back on the boat tram? Oh, it's awesome because, you know, this is like really, this is the part of San Francisco. When people see this here, especially the kids, everybody, they get so excited. So this is really, the tram is nice. Everybody look for the tram. Yeah. Now, all my life, I used to watch the Rice and Roni commercial. And I, I was ecstatic. I called home. I said, you won't believe it. I got a job with the city and county of San Francisco. Cable car, the Rice and Roni commercial. What? What? I said, I'm serious. And finally, when I, my first year at Cable Car in 93, I took pictures with everything all over back then. That's way before all this technology came out. And they said, oh my God, my whole family like, oh my God. So I was really, this is a dream come true when I used to watch it as a kid. The Rice-A-Roni commercial. Yeah, Rice-A-Roni, a San Francisco treat. Rice-A-Roni, a treat that can't be beat. And we rode the boat tram up the Embarcadero um, as Mayor London Breed did her Beyonce moves and wave <laughs> to try to welcome people back after the pandemic. And that whole moment was so much fun. You know what? That's really close to mine too. Um, I remember uh, Mayor Breed and Jeffrey Tumlin and how 
enchanted they seemed with the city because we're on this boat tram even though it was like a job for them and i'm sure there were stressors involved um i really love that another one that i loved was our um pandemic right as the pandemic the shutdown was about to happen we're touring chinatown uh shout out ethan mizzy who came out and said hi to us and then we're a little stressed about it um heading home and the cable car's coming up and byron cobb is the operator gets on the cable car i still have video of this he's ringing the bell you know really positive gets us to where we need to go And the first thing that was great about that was through Total SF, we know a cable car <laughs> operator that's so We knew so multiple cool. cable car operators. Yeah. And then the second thing about it was like all through the next year and a half, I couldn't go anywhere. But I remembered that moment and I kind of clung to that and a couple other moments about like, oh, the city's going to be waiting for me when we come back. We got to take care of people. We got to take care of these small businesses, but it's going to be waiting for us. So I remember that moment so clearly. One other place I loved recording was um, that secret room at Green Apple Books. I think it was the philosophy room or something with Daniel Handler. And he is like the funniest person. If you guys want a laugh, go find that episode with Daniel Handler at Green Apple. Um, I think I was laughing so hard I was crying throughout (laughs) the episode. And just being in that room, and we kept hearing the loudspeaker, Jeff, line one, (laughs) Jeff, line one. The whole thing was so weird and funny. And now I'm there almost every day. Wow. Yeah. Um, And we have another announcement. Kevin, Kevin, line one. Kevin, line one. one. (laughs) You know that Kevin, he's always on line two. (laughs) Come on, Kevin. Get in your line. Switch over. (laughs) Yeah, that was amazing. We could, the list could go on and on. All right, here's a tough one. Favorite guest? Well, I loved recording on the roof of the Oasis with Darcy Drollinger. This was still in the thick of the pandemic, um, who did his Rose Nyland from the Golden Girls voice and was hilarious. Another one where I think I my laughter probably <laughs> took up half the episode. So sorry about that. Um, and then took us behind the scenes at the Oasis to see what all the drag queens wear, the heels the bras, the wigs. Um, I just couldn't believe I got to be there. So that's one of them. And then Darcy went on to be the world's first drag laureate, so I'm pretty sure that was because of Total SF. Great one. Um, I love interviewing our colleagues. I love, you know, Susan Slusser, Jessica Christian have been on the podcast multiple times. Christina Carl, when she came to San Francisco. But I think my favorite was Jerry Diaz. He uh, was so good. Who we had been connecting. He had been hired by the Chronicle. He had been connecting with us a little bit. We're giving him some advice, places to go. He's so excited about coming to San Francisco and then get on the podcast. And it was this wonderful blend of, I'm really excited for the Chronicle that Jerry's coming. And I was really excited, like, we had this weird crossover where it was a Chronicle thing, but also a total SF thing and uh, made a friend there. So I, I really liked those situations where people were excited about the city and knew here and just sponges and sucked it up. And Jerry was my favorite example. I loved how he is very 
modest and unassuming and almost sits in this little ball. But then when he starts talking about the weather and particularly the fog, his arms just spread out like <laughs> yeah. an octopus. And it was so great. I love people who love their jobs and he does. Okay, I have one more and then we'll get to your questions. The most scared you've been on Total SF? Well, this wasn't strictly for Total SF, but it became for Total SF. Obviously, being at the top of Sutro Tower is the one and only scary thing we did for Total SF. I know you disagree, and you think we did like 100 scary things um, related to being up high. But um, being at the top of Sutro Tower and riding in that horrible elevator to get up there was very scary. How about you? You're going to be surprised, because I know you think that's what I thought was the scariest one, but um, our swim in the bay, (laughs) because I wasn't in really good shape for swimming. I mean, I just don't swim, and I thought, oh, I'm in good shape for other stuff, so I'll be fine. I got a little too far out. You guys kept going. You're a very good swimmer, Heather, and... Um, I said, I think I need to turn back now, but I turned back a little bit late. <laughs> and then horrifyingly embarrassing, <laughs> one of um, the Kevins from Green Apple was on the shore, and I shouted to him, hey, Kevin, just be alert. I might need some help. And he said, you know, you might, but I think you can stand up right now. And I had goggles on, and I didn't realize, like, they were making it look like he was really far away when he was, like, 35 feet away. Well, and the then, fact that you could talk to each other was a clue. Yeah. Well, I shouted at him. I'm like, Kevin, I might need some help. And then I stood up, and I was totally fine. I was, like, less than chest deep of water. So that was the scariest part for me. I thought I, I, I really that did actually. That was my funniest be, thing from Total yeah. SF. Well, Our I, moments- almost, I almost died, but, but not, not really. Okay. You go. What are you going to do with your your half of our dozens of matching t-shirts? Are you going to burn them in anger for me ditching you? Uh, no, I'm not going to burn them in anger. <laughs> I assume, like, we're still friends, right? <laughs> yeah. I assume we're still going to be texting each other, like, what are you wearing? Um, maybe not all the time, you know, but... Uh, <laughs> that would be weird. I, I plan to keep them. Uh, and a lot of them are shirts that I wear anyway. I'm wearing the Total SF shirt now. I love our... Uh, Wild Parrot flag shirt. Total Um, Transit. Total Transit. Uh, No, I'm going to keep the shirts. I'm going to wear them. And uh, I might text you sometime. And even if we don't see each other, we can still be (laughs) matchy-matchy. What about you? I'm going to keep them and wear them with pride. Good. There will never have been a New York Times San Francisco bureau chief with as many weird San Francisco (laughs) t-shirts as I will wear. Um, if you could wave a magic wand and fix one thing about San Francisco, what would it be? I think the, the homelessness and drug issues, I mean, let's call that one thing. I mean, I think that's number one by far. Um, I think there's so much suffering going on. It's something that I've thought about while we created this podcast. You know, even just going around and having fun is that... Um, diminishing some other problems and suffering going on in the city. And I think a lot of it is a national problem that has to do with wealth disparity. And it's, you know, something that people focus on in San Francisco and it's happening in a lot of places. I'm not just heart sick about San Francisco, but um, I think about that a lot. And I thought about that with this podcast, I think because you do such great journalism in that area that it kind of gave us some cover. It's like, okay, Heather is writing a big, big, 
huge project after spending a lot of time in the tenderloin, but let's also show people some other things going on. Mm -hmm. But that's what I would, that's what I'd want to change. What about you? Uh, Relatedly, I would um, end the idea that as long as our problems are contained to the tenderloin, everything's fine. Um, I don't think it's fair that there aren't homeless shelters all over the city or that if a fentanyl market opened at church in 24th that, you know, it would obviously not be allowed to just be there and take over people's lives and block children from getting to school and prevent seniors from walking down the sidewalk. So I think we need to change our attitude and think of all of San Francisco as one entity and we're all responsible we're all responsible for solving the city's problems and we can't just keep pushing it into one neighborhood. Yeah, it struck me, I think, one of your latest columns where, and and this has come up in your columns multiple times, like someone wants to help their drug problem and then they get released with, you know, motivation to get better and they get released to an area that's two blocks from a fentanyl dealer because we have containment zones here because supervisors get letters from neighborhood groups and don't want people recovering where they are. Um, Yeah, I think we need to look out for each other more. and uh, that's a good lesson. Last question. What is one thing you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day? Uh, Honestly, and I hope she's listening, like I try to sit down and be present for my wife um, and talk with her about her job and her life and our kids. And I'm so lucky to have Kelly uh, Hartlob, and um, she's been so tolerant of this podcast, as has your spouse, and our adventures often come at a cost of less time with my family, and I just try to, I got ADHD, I'm distracted, um, I try to sit and just connect, because um, I have a great, great partner, and, um, and uh, I try to just appreciate it every day. We both have great partners, and they were both very patient with our shenanigans, and they were both very patient with the fact that a lot of people thought we were married. <laughs> yes. I mean, you want to list them? Rick, Rick Welts, I think Darcy Drollinger at one Manny point. Manny Yacoutiel. Manny and many other random I thought you guys were married. So. Uh, we have never been married. We are not married. We will never be married. No, no. We're very good friends. <laughs> Okay, so let me ask you, what do you always try to fit in on a busy day? Obviously, talk to my husband and kids, but the thing I'm going to mention now, because it's with you, is that I have a very good skill. You can ask my longtime friends of keeping in touch with my best friends. Like, a day does not pass where I'm not trading text messages with my few best friends, and we keep each other posted on our lives, share funny pictures, memes, just touch base. We share our Wordle scores. I won't make you do that. Um, But I'm going to keep in touch with you. You have to respond to my texts. I'm better about texting than you are, no offense. So get ready for regular check-ins. Uh, definitely. We, we, I mean, anybody who wonders, we are very good friends. We text each other every day and I will be a better texter, although I'm better with you than other people. You have gotten a lot better. Um, I actually, like when I started partnering with you on this podcast, I felt pressure, like I got to get more organized. So you're actually seeing me at my best, (laughs) but I'll, I'll try and get better. Well, I wanted to finish and thank a few people. Um, My editor, Sarah Feldberg, who shepherds a lot of this podcast, um, has been extremely supportive and helpful. King Kaufman and Erica Carlos, who work in the audio space and audience space, have really 
um, helped us a lot with the direction of the podcast. And uh, your editor, Emily Fancher, along with Audrey Cooper, our former editor, and Tim O'Rourke, who was kind of my boss's boss's boss for a while, were really supportive on our weird hijinks. surprisingly supportive uh, considering some of the stuff that we wanted to do and finally tony bravo has been a fill-in host but also has been a real partner with a lot of our events and a frequent guest and just a really good friend and part of the total sf universe certainly um i definitely wanted to shout out tony too and one more chronicle staffer to thank is if we have an official total sf photographer it's jessica christian she rode all those buses with us for total muni she joined us for total transit she's done a lot of our our big days and she loves it and she's always sharing her love for the city on social media and gets our vibe so big thanks to jessica we complain about Um, carrying this heavy podcasting equipment around, but she's had to do this all with like 10 cameras hanging off her shoulders. Jessica's wonderful. There's no better feeling than after one of our adventures going in the Chronicles photo system and seeing all the amazing photos that she took and things that she captured when we weren't even noticing um, Jessica's. We always felt so tired and sweaty and hungry and gross and somehow she would make us look okay. (laughs) So thank you, Jessica. Thank you, Jessica. Um, Mostly I want to thank our listeners. If you felt like we were your friends, that was real. Um, I love meeting people in real life. And, um, you know, the rest of my job, I'm looking at metrics and crafting things based on immediate responses. And the result is it's probably a little bit colder and more clinical than something like Total SF. This was just, let's have fun and make a good show. And it ended up being one of the most successful things that I've done. Um, Another reason to thank listeners for telling your friends and everything. We had huge growth year over year. This is a very successful podcast and uh, makes it even harder to say goodbye. But I know all the listeners, you know, are people that I'm going to be in touch with or or get to meet, um, you know, for the rest of my life. So, um, yeah. And thank you, Heather. Um, I honestly thought I was past the point of meeting all of my best friends and, um, and I got to make one more and uh, I just love doing this with you and um, really grateful that I made such a good friend and uh, I know our friendship will continue. Me too. You're a huge supporter and um, we always have fun and I know that that's not going to change. So thank you for your friendship and I look forward to meeting up in our matching t-shirts. Yes, matching t-shirts forever. Well, that's it. Uh, I haven't haven't cried yet. But, uh, as Whoopi Goldberg says in Sister Act, Heather, I have been and always shall be your friend. Aww. Actually, that's from Star Trek Two. What? You tricked me. <laughs> I was like, I don't remember that. Okay, now we have to end very seriously. <laughs> um, this was so much fun. It never felt like a job. And uh, I think a big part of that is because of you. So um, thank you very much. And thank you to all our listeners. And this is Total SF signing out. Thank you for listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Our music today is from the Sunset Shipwrecks, Castro organ player David Hegarty, and cable car bell ringing from eight-time champion Byron Cobb. 
Support Total SF in the newsroom that creates it by investing in a Digital Chronicle edition. It's less expensive than you think at sfchronicle.com slash pod. That good? And the, what's the song? What's the sad song going through? I, I don't have a sad song going through my head. Usually it's Cats in the Cradle because it's my kids. Anyway. I hope you had the time Love of your, your life. life. I'm still recording, Heather. <laughs> oh my God, I just sang on the podcast. I said <laughs> I'd never do that. I know. 300 episodes. <laughs> Good job. <laughs>